Slow and Steady, the podcast where you get to follow along as we build products in public. Each week, we'll give you an honest peek into our lives as we share our struggles, our wins, and everything in between. I'm Benedicta, and I'm feeling strong. And I'm Benedict. Today is May 16th. This is episode number 180, and I am feeling happy. We're doing so oh. well. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> maybe What's it's related to the weather <laughs> maybe it is but I have major news A again again I mean again maybe not major major news but Ula me and the pirate princess is coming to Athens when you are in Athens woohoo nice yeah so, we finally major get news meet. for us <laughs> <laughs> awesome <laughs> looking forward to it so we'll finally meet it will be great let's hope we didn't jinx it uh but yes <laughs> <laughs> and then we just hate each other in real life <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't mean that like but last time i got sick um oh yeah that's the way that the, the time before there was a war going on well anyways uh the war is still going on uh but uh yeah Different reasons. This time we'll uh, make it. Hopefully, I'm pretty This time we'll sure. make it, yes. Yes. Um, I actually do have another, I think, 16 hours where I can cancel the tickets if I can't get anyone to look into look, look in on my mother and our two pet uh, rodents, Millie and Tilly. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm going to make figure that out um, in the next 16 hours. So. Awesome. So I just wanted to announce that. Yes. Exciting. So, I'm very excited. And also I get to meet Jeff, the co-founder, one of the co-founders of Outsetta, where I now work. Um, and also the other co-founder, because he lives in Athens. So we're gonna be staying at his house. And then Jeff is also coming to his house because he's moved on to he's at a Santorino, Santorini, an island outside of uh, mm -hmm. Athens, I think, now with his family, but then he's coming back. And then I think we're both going to be attending RailSAS just for funsies. Oh, nice. That's cool. Even though we have nothing to do with rails, we just like the people who are going there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is some anxiety about like uh, preparing my talk, but uh, uh, that that anxiety has been there all the time, so I should just get to it and get it done. <laughs> oh, you feel like it needs to be better now that I'm going to be in the audience? Uh, yes, that as well, but also just like the fact that I haven't prepared anything and it's coming up in two weeks. Uh, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not a good state of uh, state of mind to be in. So I should be should be preparing this. Yeah. So should we just make next slow and steady recording? You doing a run through of your talk uh no <laughs> no <laughs> okay okay then yeah so what else has been going on what else has been going on well it's not really going on anymore but it was going on because oh my god how many weeks ago is this thing the time time flies but a couple of weeks ago three four weeks ago levels io tweeted about Pruner follows. Mm, and that nice. was about, well, now I remember because it, it was like four days before May 1st. 
because May 1st, the API changes were going to um, get it go into effect. So we kind of been just not really doing much with Pruner Follows while we were waiting for the API changes. And we still haven't really decided on what we want to do with Pruner Follows. And then Levels.io, who has like more followers than anyone, tweets about Pruner Follows. And I think we got... So this is interesting for, for people who want to know the effects of these things. So... Uh, if I remember correctly, we got about 1,300 new users in a couple of hours after he tweeted. Wow. So that's a lot that's of a people. Lot. <laughs> Especially and the app with didn't the, the limits. for most of them. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the limits. Interesting. So how did it how did it turn out? Well, it seemed because we have these we had these overlays already in place saying that Twitter needs a break. API limits, I, I don't rec exactly recall our wording, where you could leave your email. So I also think we went from about 350 emails to 950 emails. So this means that we have a pretty good base if we want to do something with Pruner Follows, even within the new API limits. So that's kind mm -hmm. of a little bit what I wanted to talk about, because the new API limits basically means we cannot help people unfollow from within the app. Mm -hmm. But I'm still thinking there might be a use case for us importing all the people you follow, categorizing them, creating the lists, and then you can open an account on Twitter, and then you can decide, do I want to unfollow or follow? But when you click open account or like open this person's timeline on Twitter, we kind of categorize that as being um, managed. I had it managed. I had a really good word for this when I was like thinking about this feature. Handled like this is you know we've we've made a decision on this person, mm -hmm. and then we could hide them from you know all of our lists and everything because you've done something with them and then put them in a different list. So I think you know, we can do something there. But then the question is, like, should we spend the time? Because will people pay for this? Or can I get a set of other companies to pay for another version of your follows? Like I got the, <laughs> like I did the first one. Um, so if you out there is interested in marketing to my list of 950 people who are mostly indie hacking tech people, I think, because those are who follow levels IO and me on Twitter, uh, you know, I'll build the next version in public and have your, and, and add your logo in my updates <laughs> to, to, to folks. May, may you ask Twitter for a sponsorship? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but we're still going to have some kind of limitations because Twitter only allows, what is it like? I can only import 5,000 accounts at a time. So if you follow more than 5,000 people, we would need to queue up the importing of the people that you follow. Mm -hmm. But then again, I think that could be manageable because if people go in to a service like this and then we start importing and they can see like their first 5,000 and we'll say tomorrow you'll get another 5,000. Um, and even so, if they keep following people, we don't need to show them their, the newest people they followed. We could just do this as a batch import once a week or once a month or something like that. Um, because the people you followed yesterday, you probably still want to... <laughs> 
follow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we could do like fun things with AI and stuff and like categorize your, the people in different, in different categories for you. Yeah. So I'm thinking debating if I should make this a summer project or not. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Good question. Uh, I don't think anyone will be paying for that. I, just, I, I mean, I might be wrong, but, uh, this one guy's like, if you can tell me who follows me back, that is worth literally a lot of money. I was like, okay. But I mean, that was somebody who said that on Twitter, but he was like, I'll pay for that because none of the tools will tell you if the people you follow, follow you back. And we can import both lists and then, and then make a comparison of the two lists, the people you follow and the people that follow you. But that would take even mm. more queue time because we would need to queue up again because we can't import that many people right and we could not do this for levels io who has like one hundred and seventy thousand people who follow him like that wouldn't work yeah is the um that five thousand import limit is that per account or per what whatever like hour on the entire app or i don't remember exactly now but i think it's in 24 hours per users because we can only call the following and followers endpoints five times in 24 hours and we can get thousand people on each page in that request per account user per per, per user, user who's logged in yeah mm. not for the whole yeah, app there might be some app limitations as well but and then the other lot. thing would the other thing would be to just make this like a really fun little open source project and people can deploy it themselves with their own API keys. And then they could spin it up and kind of unfollow people and do whatever they want, but just from their dev environment. Mm. Yeah, that makes it kind of a pro tool, right? <laughs> uh... Yeah, yeah. You know what could be fun is making it open source and um, having one of those. I'm not sure if that's that's the thing with other platforms, but for example, with Heroku, they have these mm -hmm. um, deploy in Heroku buttons, and maybe there's something for Netlify and Vercel or whatever as well, where, they, where yeah, you just click the button and it clones it, and you then you provide some configuration values, and then it boots it up somewhere. That could be interesting because that that way. That works just yeah works around the entire API limits issue, and people just have to put in their own API keys and stuff like that. And then, uh, do these buttons work as affiliate links? I'm not sure. I mean, probably won't be paid, <laughs> uh, paid app instances, anyways. But that might be interesting. Yeah, because we could do yeah could do deploy on Netlify, and then. But then also be like, oh, and then you have to make a SATA instance if you want to use the SATA backend, or you could rewrite it to use whatever you want. Um, but then I guess both oh, right. the SATA and the, then the SATA dependency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it needs to be imported into some kind of database. Otherwise, you're going to be calling these API endpoints every time you open the app, which <laughs> which Twitter will be like, no way, even if you bring your own keys. Um, and then yeah, then we could we could make like a SATA affiliate link and Netlify. Suddenly I'm an affiliate marketer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I, I mean, okay. if you can keep it hosted, that would be cool. But I guess the limitations become, I mean, those are some big limitations, right? Mm-hmm. Or I could make it into a course. Like, how can you make this yourself? Because it's got API endpoints, it's got third parties, it's got all kinds of things. But you don't want to make it and sell it because of the API limitations. But it's got yeah. all the good stuff you need to learn if you're going to be making an app. Also true. Mm, I don't. I don't know. This is tough. Especially, I mean, I feel like the biggest problem is that Twitter as an API is not that appealing anymore <laughs> with the changes, right? <laughs> It's like, yes, you learn how to build a uh, build on top of the Twitter API, but who in their right mind would do that these days? <laughs> yeah, it would be more as an example, like an example, learning how to talk to a third party API. I would, that would have to be the yeah, the selling point. But then, but then I also see like when when people go for courses or learning material, they want something like very specific. Like, I want to learn this third party API. Yeah. Or at least that a, not a, like third-party APIs. <laughs> yes, uh, maybe like it, I think it would be interesting for people to uh, to just learn like to build on top of an API that's actually interesting for them, like where they can actually <laughs> see them building something similar. I I don't know. Maybe maybe if this was on the GitHub API, maybe it would make more sense. I don't sure. or or like mm -hmm. just the Twitter API from mm -hmm. a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, so this is it. But yeah. so it's interesting. So yeah, if anybody listening has any ideas on uh, how to move forward, I could also just put up like a little proposal on my own site or on Pruner Falls. Be like, we need X amount to make this happen. Who wants to sponsor? It could be a corporation. It could be like we need three corporations to sponsor this, and yeah, you know, this is what you'll get back. And then just has to have it almost like an open proposal. Like who wants to join? Yeah. Yeah. That might be interesting as well. Or it's just a donations button, but I don't, I'm having a hard time seeing any like, but that's just me. Maybe there are people who, who are willing to pay for something like that, but uh, I don't think it would we be We weirdly lot. got some hardcore fans. Like some people were just like mind blown. Like this is the tool I've been looking for for years. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, but uh, if it's, looking if for a tool that is free, it. then that's one thing, right? And then yes. looking for a tool that I have to pay for, maybe they'd rather keep looking yeah, for I don't, Yeah, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think paying like I don't think would make a lot of money having people pay for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and also it just like changes the game on the whole thing. Like we made it for fun. We made it as a building public project that we got paid to do yeah. and um and then sadly Twitter changed the it changed the changed the rules. <laughs> changed the rules of the game, which is which is one of the big reasons I never ever thought about making this. Like, oh, I need to make a profit out of this on the consumer or from yeah. the consumer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that was a smart decision. <laughs> um, yeah. Do how do you feel about this? Do you want to keep working on it and like keep changing it, or do you feel like 
was a fun experiment. You got paid for it. Now let's just let it sit there and move on to the next thing. Weirdly for this one, there are some things, because there are some things that I, I'm not, I don't really know how to solve yet. And those things I find interesting because I've never really worked with queues and queuing up background jobs. Mm -hmm. And I would love to have some experience with that in a project that isn't, you know, critical, like your application. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, if, you know, if a Twitter batch import fails and nobody's paid for it, fine, you know. Uh, but it's got that volume, like when some people come, like we had one person who, you know, the import completely failed and they looked into it and they had like six, they followed 20,000 people or something. Um, mm -hmm. And there was some weird formatting in one of the people's description that failed something. And also it would have failed because 5,000 people were the limit. So I, for like personal development's sake, it would be fun to to figure out a setup where there will, yeah, where there would be queues and how, like, how do we do deal with a Twitter API keys or not keys, but like the access tokens when we need to persist those for uh, these queued up jobs? Like, we need to have the refresh token or like we things that I haven't really experienced that much with. So I think like that part of it still, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like it could be really fun to figure that out and learn. Um, and then also more of the AI stuff, just because everybody's talking about AI, but like this is a fun, useful, at least I think, useful way of playing with some AI where like, oh, you've unfollowed these people. I think maybe you want to unfollow these people and like see if that actually make sense if it actually gives you good suggestions uh, and mm -hmm. just have some experience kind of into that. So both the kind of more of the, the back end stuff that I've always shied away for from them <laughs> the more, yeah. I don't know, proper technical, I don't know what we want to call it, the real back end stuff and AI, both of those things are fun to just learn a little bit about without it having where it's more than doing a tutorial somebody else made, but also less than thinking, oh, I'm going to make an AI startup or I'm going to make like a critical infrastructure startup where my background cues are never can go down. Yeah. So that's why I'm still like, oh, this is interesting. But when that's done, when I've solved those two things or like played around with it enough, yeah, not, not going to be that interested. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Maybe you need to find like one of the, I mean, there are a couple of companies that, that focus on like um, queuing systems or stream data streaming systems or something like that. Um, maybe you can convince one of them to sponsor that work and that project. Um, and then for the AI part, I don't, I don't know. It's probably hard to find someone to sponsor, to sponsor that work right now, but um that would be the only thing I can see, like where you can like fuel that curiosity and, and get something out of it while getting paid for it. Other than that, I don't know. Like if you feel like you want to explore this, then maybe just explore it for the sake of exploring it and, and live stream it I as don't usual. I don't really ha I don't really have time. <laughs> I yeah. don't really have time. If I don't get paid these days, I it do other things. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I still, I'm still going to always be learning on my own time, right? But um, 
yeah, I don't really have time to time to put a lot of hours into it without it being part of something that would it doesn't have to generate like a lot of cash, but a little bit of yeah. cash. Yeah. It would need to. Because otherwise I do cliche 40-year-old woman things like I did this weekend where I learned how to refurbish my windows from 1890. <laughs> and nice. and or spend time in my sauna. <laughs> so, not my sauna, but I'm part of this collective now where there's like a bunch of saunas down by the Oslo Fjord. And I think those two things and the renovations we talked about last time is just like, yeah, I'm a living cliche of my <laughs> generation and age. And somehow for the first time in my life, I'm like totally comfortable being the cliche version of my age. <laughs> sure, why not? I mean, helps you not to have to explain a lot of things, right? And if you're like... Matching the cliche, and no one's asking you why are you different than everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also, and also because it's fun. You know, I liked going and learning how to do my windows. So, and that's gonna take because I have five windows from eighteen ninety with double glass. They're both on the outside, on the inside of the house. Mm -hmm. And I, sorry about that. And I need to do all of them. So that's going to take a lot of time. So it's like, do I do that? Or do I learn about cues? <laughs> that's where I'm at <laughs> in my life right now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, this sounds super harsh, uh, but I feel like Prunia Follows is going to join Pau in the... Yes. Uh, I don't in know. In my pile the, 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 of uh, projects. In, in, in the pile of projects that were once great and fun, but uh, maybe should go somewhere to die. <laughs> yes. That yeah, is some wise words right there, Benedict. <laughs> it, doesn't so, it, it's, it doesn't sound nice, uh, but realistically, it sounds like the way to go. <laughs> You don't have to be nice. We've been talking to each other for ages now. It comes like from a good, good place in my heart. <laughs> like I'm, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I myself have this one project that refuses to die, even if it, even though it should, right? Um, and I guess just Paul's being okay with made it. Made to die. Yeah. True. But so uh, it's all, it also sucks that you just got like uh, 900 new signups to the mailing list and then uh, not using any of that. But then again, what are you using it for if not something Twitter related? So, yeah. Well, let's move over to your <laughs> Your actual <Okay>. business. <laughs> yeah, you building my actual value for people. Well, at, at least we pretend to, right? Um, yeah, so it's been a busy couple of weeks. Um, we launched uh, the reporting feature. I, I think I mentioned that a million times. Uh, but after that, I was like, ah, we have now everything in place to work on this new feature uh, that is basically a recombination of what we've got so far. Um, and that's conversion goals. 
So in our books, the conversion goal is basically a trigger combined with the reporting engine. So something like someone gets a message, then they sign up for a trial. That counts as a conversion, and we chart that over time. Um, at least that was the idea. Uh, and I started building that, thinking that we have triggers, we have reporting, we have uh, uh, messages. So everything's there. We should just like recombine it and build it. Um, and after a week, I had a prototype that was sort of working, but it was also clear that the things we had, especially around triggers, wasn't flexible enough to just like shoehorn into it some into something else. So we've been using triggers for campaigns basically to start and stop them, but that's it. Um, I have like a little backend implementation that also uses triggers to power our webhooks, but that's not that's still a beta feature that we just manually created for like a handful of customers and there's no, no no UI attached to it and it's very limited in functionality. So it was fine for that, but for that conversion goal feature, it was basically impossible to reuse the trigger stuff that we already had. So that was a little bit frustrating. Um, and I started thinking about this uh, and basically abandoned the project for a little while. And then I'm not entirely sure when it happened or how it happened. I, I think it was Friday night where I had this aha moment, like five years into user list. I realized that the way we were doing triggers at the moment um, was inefficient and there's a better way. Um, so basically what we've been doing is we have this table in our database that has, all, that has all the triggers in it. They're associated with accounts. And when something in the account happens, we look at all the triggers and see which one match. And if they match, we start that workflow, send that workbook, whatever. Um, and to do that, we're basically, like something happens, that's an event. We get the event in Ruby. Then we look at all the triggers and then check the the event against all the triggers in Ruby. Um, and I realized that we could also just do that in the database um, by, by basically creating a virtual record in the database that represents the current, I'm, I'm calling these execution contexts, where there's an event, there's a user, there's a company, there's an account. We load that into the database and then just do a join with like the conditions of the triggers Hey, this sounds super complex. It's, it's a little bit hard to uh, hard and complicated to explain without being in the code base. But long story short, like I figured need, out a we way. We need a data model diagram. Here. We need a data you model diagram, to... right? And we need you a need to make a blog post like, on this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, eventually, maybe a, a blog post. But in, anyways, what I'm what I'm trying to get at is, for the longest time, we were evaluating triggers in Ruby. And we are evaluating segments in the database. And with that new change or the new approach, we can basically shift all of that into the database. And instead of having different, like the current implementation also had a problem that we had the base trigger class and then we had subclasses for like, this is a user custom event trigger. This is a user joint and event trigger. This is a, I don't know, like we have like, 10, 12 different uh, trigger types in our system, and they all have custom Ruby code. Uh, but with a new 
implementation that I or that new idea I had, we basically distilled those down into just conditions. So we're like not don't have any custom Ruby code anymore. We just like have a hash that describes a certain set of conditions that have to be true for this trigger to be firing or being valid. And we've been that doing a lot faster. of stuff with conditions in the database already, like to do segmentation and to filter stuff and all of that. And by basically combining that idea with the trigger idea, we now can, it's not quite done yet, but with once it's done, we define a condition hash and that's it. And we store it in the database and you evaluate it sort of in the database. Like we're not, we're not, doing any Ruby checks anymore. We're just evaluating it in the database. And then if it returns true, we do something. And if it returns false, we do nothing. And that led down like this rabbit hole. So that was the first idea. And then I realized mm, right now we have like two different ways of doing conditions as well, right? Um, so for like collections or where we look at a segment of users or filtering and stuff like that. We were always doing that in the database because it's not feasible to load all the users into the memory and then evaluate the conditions in memory. So we were always doing that part in the database. But for stuff like, does this user match these conditions? We were doing that in Ruby. Um, and that had a side effect of, we basically had two code paths to evaluate conditions, one in the database, one in Ruby. And we had like 11,000 generated tests to make sure that logic in Ruby and logic in SQL is the same. Because, of course, like you said, the conditions once, you want them to work the same in both worlds. And with that idea of like having this virtual row in the database, I realized that we can just get rid of the entire Ruby site. <laughs> so uh, that's what we've been working on or I've been working on for the last couple of weeks is just unifying our, like first unifying our tr uh, conditions into one stack or one implementation implementation, and then based on that, unifying all our triggers into just one implementation. And it's, it's slowly coming together and it's very, very exciting because it's simpler to reason about, it has less code, it has less tests. The test suite, like I merged this earlier today. Uh, we, we removed 11,000 tests. The test suite runs in half the time now. <laughs> uh, which is uh, always we, good. We removed like 500 lines of code, with, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it was basically all of that Ruby logic and SQL logic separately. Now it's just SQL logic basically removes that entire problem of being consistent in both worlds because there's just one world. Like if it's wrong, then it's at least wrong in the same way everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was something I've been working on for the last week and um, or last two or three weeks even. And uh, I wanted to mention one, one interesting library I've been using in the process. And that's, it's called Scientist. It's a Ruby gem that basically allows you to validate refactorings against a known control. So for the last mm. two weeks, we've been running um, the pure in Ruby way of evaluating conditions against uh, the, well, we've been running the Ruby way and the SQL way in parallel. And then the gem would 
compare the results and report if they match or mismatch uh, back to our uh, monitoring system. And that mm. way we could make sure that uh, that refactoring and doing it the new way or like just a unified way would result in the same stuff. And um, it turned out fun, funny story. Like we had a couple of mismatches. Some of them were timing related because like if data changes between the first call and the mm -hmm. second call, of course, that's a mismatch. So those were okay. I was fine with that. And then I found one where consistently the Ruby result and the SQL result didn't match. And while looking into it, I noticed that the Ruby result was wrong the entire time. <laughs> so I actually found a bug in the code that we just removed, um, which yeah just increases the confidence that this is a good idea. <laughs> so because you're saying hashes, so what you do is that you make, you take all of the parts that would create a condition and then you make a hash out of it. While in the Ruby implementation, you didn't do that and you checked like if name equal or like if property one is match, if property two match, if property three match, or did you create the hash in Ruby as well and compare the hashes? Um, well, I, when I say hash, I mean the, um, the representation of the condition as like yeah. a logic construct, we built that as a hash, so. Um, I don't know. Because then just, you can just compare them, right? Because then you can uh, say no, if, like, if for, they match. No, that, that that that's not quite how we do it. We we. Oh, okay. Well, I say it's I a hash. What it actually is mm -hmm. is a, a abstract syntax tree of the condition. Like it's mm -hmm. basically nested nested code blocks. Um, so you, at the top level, you usually have something like all of these conditions and then a list of conditions and then oh, so what the user actually selects in the ui yeah that's that's yeah. that's the hash and then we have code um did i did my, my screen just turned off i'm not totally sure did i did i drop out uh no you didn't no, really I, I, it, it sounded like one sentence <laughs> okay cool i just got super confused because everything turned black um so anyways we have this representation of the logic, and then we use uh, basically it's a visitor thing, like where you walk the tree, and then mm -hmm. we build a SQL string out of it. So mm -hmm. if there's an equals in there, we create a, a, um, a SQL equals and so on, and then combine them. And then we run that against the database. And the Ruby implementation was basically a similar thing where mm -hmm. every operation in that condition hash had like a Ruby code attached to it. So we could like do a Ruby equal or do a, mm. a, a and a Ruby and stuff like that. Mm. So it was basically doing the same things just in two separate ways. Um, okay. And now we just generate SQL and send the SQL to the database and let the database figure out what what's true and what isn't. Is that faster than doing it in the code? Um, it's similar-ish, like there's still slow parts, but that's usually stuff like, did this user ever perform this event or how many mm. times, or did the user perform this event 20 times? And even the Ruby version would query the database for that, so, but mm -hmm. it would just like do this one operation, whereas now the database is basically evaluating the entire condition in one go. Mm. 
Mm. So it's sometimes like depending on what it queries, it's still slow, but it's more memory efficient because we're not loading anything into Ruby. We just do everything on a database. And um, yeah, I feel like it's maybe it's a little slower, but in, I, I think in the in the grand scheme of things, it's comparable, I guess. So cool. yeah, that was me talking a lot about very complicated technical details of, of how we build user lists. <laughs> um, I like it. Even when I don't always understand all the parts, you don't know how much I've learned about like backend stuff after talking to you about user <laughs> list for a while. Like maybe not enough to just go out and write it, but but like enough little nuggets that if I were to have to solve some problems, I have some little pieces in my brain that makes me hopefully Google more correctly or <laughs> ask the correct person or no, but I think it's valuable. Like even if you don't understand something completely, you kind of get little pieces of it and it, it starts to build up a little knowledge base in your your mind that might have some big 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 holes like a swiss cheese <laughs> of knowledge right. but at least you have some of it and it's easier to fill in those holes and like know where to go to to fill in those holes and i think that's where like listening to to coding podcasts or podcasts like ours which is coding and and sass i guess and life and everything in between um but just like <laughs> having windows refurbishing windows i can tell you so much about like the old ways of uh, making windows and how those were preferable for today. They made windows that last 150 years. We make windows that last 20 to 30 years. Anyway, um, so, so yeah, to, to my point, it's like listening to a lot of things, even though if you don't understand everything, just like having it kind of play there. And then suddenly maybe five years down the road, you're like, oh, there's a there's one less Swiss cheese hole in that knowledge and you didn't <laughs> yes. really understand how that happened but it happened like that kind of like passive um knowledge collection is valuable to one to an extent um but you can also listen to too much and and never do anything <laughs> which also doesn't doesn't true, work true. but but yeah no i think it's valuable i like listening to <laughs> you talk about the back ends <laughs> yeah so that's basically what we've been working on um and while everything will be a little bit more simple on the back end and less code on the back end, unfortunately, a little bit of that complexity is now moving into the front end. Mm -hmm. uh, because previously we had, as I said, like we had different trigger types and they were named and we had like a one-to-one -one relationship from the name on the front end to the actual code on the back end. And that's now gone. So now the front end has to look at these condition constructs that I talked about and figure out like what's the corresponding UI element for this. Um, mm. So that's a little bit more tricky. And uh, that's what Leo has been working on for the past two weeks is um, uh, basically different components that look at these structures and figure out UI components from that. Um, but the good thing is, it's not impossible and we got something working. So for example, that missing UI for webhooks, we just uh, like he last week created a component where you basically configure it and then it shows you like checkboxes for all the event types and even allows you to group them together. So you can like toggle on 
on and off all the messaging related events or all the user related events or all the custom mm-hmm. events and stuff like that. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and this week he's working on a new, um, a new component for the, like triggers for the conversion goals. And um, those will be super similar to what we have for campaign triggers. So once we figure out those, the webhooks part, the conversion goals part, we're looking at basically unifying and like refactoring the existing trigger implementation. And then hopefully uh, we're in the promised land and everything's so much nicer and so much more flexible. So <laughs> that's that's the plan. That's the plan. They're working at something. No, I'm not going to talk about that. Sorry. Just cut that out. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> let's pretend it didn't happen. I guess that's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, it's been a good episode. This was interesting. Yeah, and just to to go back to why I'm feeling so strong, because I've been working out. I've been doing strength exercise for a couple of weeks now. Woo-hoo. And it's amazing how fast that goes in the beginning. So I finally managed to do like three times and then two times. Or was it just three times last week? Anyway, I got this logged on Twitter. And today when I was doing one of the exercises, I was like, oh my God, this isn't awful anymore. I could actually (laughs) (laughs) do the, I could actually do the exercise. And also I was like, I need to exercise. I want to exercise. Let's exercise, which just never, like, that's a very <laughs> feeling to me to be like, what is the solution to feeling a little down? Let's do a strength session. Okay. Okay, brain. Good on you. I don't that's, know you. That's awesome. But... I feel like that's the challenging part, like building a habit or like rewiring your brain where suddenly exercise isn't that thing you loathe anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's, let's see how let's see how this keeps keeps on playing out. Let's see. But I guess that's all for today. Yep. Uh, have a nice week and talk to you next week. Bye. And see you around the interweb.